with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Welcome to Biz Today. I'm Xia Wen in Beijing. Coming up, we will have a half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about China's economic resilience during the COVID pandemic and its prospects amid efforts to ease COVID measures and reopen. More foreign financial institutions predict that the Chinese economy will rebound stronger in 2023. This week, Morgan Stanley revised its growth outlook for China's economy in 2023 to 5.4 percent from its previous forecast of 5 percent. Standard Chartered expects China's economy to grow at 5.8 percent next year. Meanwhile, the International Monetary Fund has also raised its forecast for the Chinese economy to 4.4 percent in 2023. How did China's economy stay resilient during the COVID pandemic, and what impact would easing COVID measures have on boosting the country's economic growth? For more on this. We're joined on the line now by Wang Dan, chief economist of Henson Bank China, and Andy Mark, senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. So Dan, in the past three years, the country's economy expanded by 14.3 percent, an average of 4.5 percent per year. Although weak by its own standards, it's better than the global average. So, what's your assessment of China's economic performance over the past three years? And the good performance of the past three years was mainly supported by the 2020 economic、uh, growth, because that year China recovered first by containing the COVID spread. So its production capacity recovered also ahead of everyone else in the world, and that has led. Foundation for industrial expansion in the following two years,、mm-hmm. but then the complication was that since then we have entered this down downward spiral in the economic performance, mainly due to a prolonged COVID control.、Uh, it was a different path chosen by the Chinese government, trying to protect the public health.、Uh, it turns out that the virus has been too contagious. The stringent measures have basically depressed city services and consumption, and now we're in this new wave of、uh, pandemic spread.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, the economic growth has been jeopardized, but I think we pretty much reached the bottom at this point. So, Andy, what's your thoughts on this? What do you think contributed to the resilience and stability of the Chinese economy during the COVID pandemic? Also, amid the global recession. Well,、um, before I answer that question, let me add a little bit、uh, to this point about China's、uh, economic growth over the last three years.、Um, while it is lower than China's historical growth rates,、um, uh, for some of the reasons that Wang Dan touched on, that are exogenous、uh, due to、uh, COVID primarily,、um, but I think we also have to recognize that. Economies、uh, follow a cycle or a, a progression of growth, and just as an infant grows very, very quickly, but as、uh, it matures, growth rates slow down. So I think this is one structural feature we are observing that China went from being, even though an enormously populous country, a relatively small economy, to now the second biggest economy in the world in、uh, nominal terms. That 
the growth rate, of course, has to slow. Nothing can keep growing uh, at rapid rates to infinity. So I think this is something to recognize. And also we're witnessing a transition to higher quality growth. And this is happening at the same time uh, that these COVID challenges have been faced. So um, let me add then to, or to answer your question, uh, why was China's economy resilient during the COVID pandemic? Um, I think one of the main reasons, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, is good governance. And governance here means not just the competence of the individuals involved, but I think the institutional continuity as well is very, very important. So in case anyone doesn't know this, um, but you know, governing is very difficult, mm -hmm. even under the best of circumstances. And if you have constant rotation of key policymakers, um, they spend a lot of their time then just even learning uh, the job, whereas an American might joke, finding out where the bathroom is. Um, whereas I think one of China's unique uh, strengths from a governance perspective is that institutional continuity uh, and stability is valued. And this is a meta value, perhaps, and that every economy or every country wants sustainable economic growth, but not every country recognizes and prioritizes the value of institutional continuity and stability. And I think uh, there are many reasons why China's economy uh, was resilient during the COVID pandemic. But I think one of the less visible ones uh, is the recognition uh, of institutional stability and the ability to act on that recognition. Mm. We have also learned in the first 11 months of this year, China's foreign trade of goods expanded 8.6% year on year to 38 trillion yuan. Meanwhile, China's trade with the ASEAN countries and nations along the Belt and Road grew 15.5% and 20.4% respectively. So then, what message does the number tell us about China's economic vitality in its foreign trade? Uh, these figures have showed at least two things. One is that the major destination for China's exports, which are the U.S. and Europe, have slowed down, uh, have uh, experiencing the slowdown in their economic recovery. And that's mostly due to the central bank's rate hikes uh, in the major economies. Um, but at the same time, this shift has also shown this industrial structure upgrade in China. Because in terms of China's manufacturing supply chain, it is at the center of the whole Asian supply chain. Uh, over the years, China has shifted much of its lower-ended uh, assembly lines to other ASEAN countries, while upgrading its domestic supply chain to make more of the intermediate industrial inputs rather than the final goods. And when we do the industrial inputs, it is easier to adopt automation and smart manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And that has suggested this climbing up of the value chain. So when it comes to the growth rate, uh, it turns out it's a lot faster when we produce industrial inputs rather than the final goods. And I believe this trend will probably be strengthened in the years to come. Um, since there is a more of a diversifying uh, activity on the company level 
uh, they want to reduce the impact of geopolitical uh, geopolitical risks and the over reliance for a single country or a combination of countries for the supply of their goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, we probably see a more slowdown of China's export to the major Western markets, but an increasing export to ASEAN and Belt and Road countries. Despite gloomy investment sentiment around the globe, China has retained its strong appeal to foreign businesses. According to the Ministry of Commerce, in the first 10 months of this year, foreign direct investment in the Chinese mainland went up 17.4% year-on-year to $168 billion, and high-tech industries saw a rapid increase of 32% during this period. And Andy, as someone who comes from a tech background, what's behind this strong growth momentum? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, drivers for this. So first of all, um, despite the short-term pessimism due to the COVID pandemic, um, I think there's little doubt around the world that China's market is still a very attractive one. So I think that's one reason uh, that uh, companies all around the world are interested in investing in China. I think the other, again, comes back to politics. And what we've seen in China is not only political continuity, um, but this also leads to a very, very important uh, set of factors for business investment. And that is uh, not only policy predictability, but predictability of vital inputs, whether that's energy, access to other infrastructure, access to labor, et cetera. So let's look at a quick comparison. Um, In Europe, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and instability. Now, some of it is due to political decisions. Some of it uh, is due to uh, geopolitical conflict, which, of course, uh, at its root uh, comes from political decisions. So we see uh, companies like BASF, because of the uh, skyrocketing energy prices in Germany, have to decide to no longer Uh, continue uh, operations in Germany, but instead making a historically large investment in China. Mm. And it's not just because of the market, but it's because, again, of the predictability and stability of key inputs. Because without that uh, predictability, especially capital-intensive businesses really cannot operate. So I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, the the big market, the growing market in China, um, the policy stability, predictability, uh, but also China's role now as a platform uh, for uh, supplying vital goods and services to the rest of the world. And I think many uh, companies recognize this. Uh, you know, Tesla would be one example. Uh, investing in China, not just for the China market, but uh, for uh, a much larger market. So I think there's a number of reasons. And uh, I think we have room to be optimistic that as we move past uh, a lot of the setbacks related to COVID, uh, that the investment outlook will be much, much better. But of course, we also have to recognize too Uh, There are geopolitical challenges as well uh, that don't make this a completely uh, sunny picture. Mm -hmm. 
Dan, what's your thoughts on this? How and why did China remain an attractive destination for foreign investment even during the COVID pandemic? Uh, China, as the largest single market in the world, has never lost its attraction to foreign investors, even during COVID, when the logistics are were experiencing a lot of difficulties. The transportation costs were basically off the chart. Uh, foreign investors always find a way to get into China, invest in its real economy, or even increase their exposure in the financial market.、Mm-hmm. And now the uncertainty is with the economic outlook、uh, in China,、um, but we can see this increasing optimism after the、uh, restrictions on mobility have been mostly lifted.、Mm-hmm. So during the three year of COVID,、uh, we have seen the resilience and the true attraction of China. As a consumer market and a base for production, but also it has exposed its vulnerability,、um, because usually the biggest strength of a country is also its biggest vulnerability once it's shocked by some exogenous factors. And this time with COVID,、uh, all countries have realized how much dependent they are on China's production,、mm-hmm. and they would like to reduce that risk, which can result in more diversification away from China. And to a certain extent, that could cause some、uh, distress for、uh, China's domestic industries. But in the long term, it's probably、uh, also for the better. Um, because for China, it cannot only rely on the global market for its long-term growth.、Uh, we talk about dual circulation. Actually, how to build its domestic circulation is a bigger and more urgent task now. We're speaking with Wang Dan, chief economist of Hengzhen Bank China, and also Andy Mark, senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Let's take a short break, and coming back, we will take a look at how China's optimized COVID control policies can spur economy and boost market confidence in 2023. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the world today. In my opinion, the world today is one of the best China radio programs. In the world today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please come to join us. Welcome back. You are listening to Base today. I'm Xu Yawen in Beijing. Let's continue our story. So then, after three years of battling COVID pandemic, China recently introduced ten new COVID control measures, and many say the measures are becoming more scientific, more active, and more accurately targeted. So, how do you view the ten new COVID control measures, and how can the optimized measures help reduce supply chain interruptions, spur economy, and boost market confidence? Uh, well, those ten measures are extremely helpful in restoring confidence in、uh, domestic production and consumer market, because people have been waiting for so long、uh, for the relaxation of the COVID control. It's not that the COVID control didn't help Chinese economy. It's in fact the main reason why China has been growing the way、uh, so rapidly after COVID has started. Um, but then over time, it just seems that、uh, as the virus having started to have more variant, it is becoming more difficult to contain. 
So the Chinese government has been adjusting its approach, and the latest approach is this, in a way, unexpected opening uh, or exiting from uh, the strict uh, containment of uh, of COVID.、Mm-hmm. It is for sure more scientific, but in terms of the public response, people are、uh, surprised.、Um, it is.、Uh, It is the situation、uh, when we can only say things will get worse before it get better because more people are getting affected,、um, and in the short term it will be a bigger negative impact on the economy、uh, rather than、uh, a positive force. I want to add a little bit to what Wang Dan、uh, was saying too.、Yeah. Um, I think it's important to point out, at least from from my understanding, is that、um, China's approach to COVID. Uh, was never unscientific,、um, and I think we have to recognize here that at the beginning of the outbreak, no one knew anything about COVID, and everyone had to learn. And I think China learned very, very quickly. And what happened with the latest、uh, Omicron variants is that they are much, much more、uh, infectious. I saw something like ROs of sixteen.、Mm. Uh, whereas you know that puts it equal to like the measles、um, in terms of just how infectious it is,、um, but at the same time it is much less lethal. So I think the、uh, decision to、uh, open up makes a lot of sense because、uh, China, like every government、uh, regarding COVID, is balancing public health, economic impact, and public sentiment. So I think. The world is fortunate in that、uh, COVID evolved to be much more infectious, but much less lethal. So we can be in this position today, where、uh, China can largely abandon、uh, the previous very strict measures. And I completely agree with Wang Dan that、uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better economically, because while now the government restrictions have largely gone away. Uh, many people are, at least in Beijing, are homesick with a much less severe form of COVID. But this causes uh, economic uh, disruption, and you know we may see a month, maybe two months, before things bounce back. And then I think we'll see some of the things、uh, you talked about, Yawan,、mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know increasing uh, investments.、Um, again, I think the. The structural dynamics or the structural features that make China attractive for foreign investment have never changed, even during the COVID pandemic.、Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, as we come out of this、uh, short-term period, when you know things, I think, are even more disrupted because people are getting COVID.、Uh, but once we put this behind us,、uh, I think we may even see. Kind of a, a a very strong bounce back momentum、mm-hmm. uh, all across the board for for China's economy. At a meeting earlier this month to plan economic work for 2023, China's top leadership vowed to advance high quality opening up and make greater efforts to attract and utilize foreign capital. So, Dan, what's your perspective on this message sent by the Chinese government, and also to foreign investors? What new potential opportunities are available for them to invest in China following optimized epidemic control measures? 
Uh, for Chinese government, I want to point out that they have never uh, said anything about not welcoming uh, foreign investment ever. And the economic stance was always uh, the welcoming attitude towards foreign capital and foreign investment, especially in the manufacturing sector. Uh, it has never changed. Mm -hmm. And the difference now is that uh, for the financial opening, it has more details in the steps it will take to attract foreign uh, foreigners. And there were more concrete uh, restrictions being lifted. But in terms of the market access for the real economy, if it's in line with the national strategy, usually there can be uh, more of an easing sign or some of the details to help lower uh, for example, the uh, controlling stakes requirement or things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, uh, I think the general attitude is that the Chinese government would want more foreign presence in China. And after COVID uh, is passed, then there will be for sure uh, more interest in uh, exploring China's consumer market. Since the urbanization is not over, we know there can be more purchasing power uh, to be unleashed. Um, and for China's production capacity, there are also a lot of opportunities in things like uh, emerging industries, new materials, uh, uh, and the whole supply chain of new energy. Mm -hmm. So for foreign investors, they want to have more clear signals on what type of industries could be more beneficial to them and what will be the steps of China's opening up and exiting from COVID control. Mm -hmm. So now there's still a lot of uncertainties floating in the air, but I believe from the second half of next year, things will get a lot more clear. Mm -hmm. Andy, this week, a few foreign financial institutions predicted that the Chinese economy will rebound stronger in 2023. The numbers from Morgan Stanley, Standard Chartered, and the International Monetary Fund have improved their outlooks on China's economy. Morgan Stanley even predicted that the rebound in activity will come earlier and be sharper than expected. So what's your assessment on foreign financial firms' positive notes about the Chinese economy next year? And from your own perspective, Vavil, how do you see China's economic outlook in 2023? No, I think, Yawen, that um, a lot of the factors are in place for a very strong rebound. So again, we're moving out of the dynamic zero COVID era. Um, the uh, party, the 20th Party Congress has taken place. Uh, the new leadership uh, is in place. Um, we can see now that uh, the economy is one of the top priorities. So it will not just be uh, a rebound from moving beyond COVID, but uh, the property market, uh, other aspects of the economy as well. I think certainly uh, are very encouraging and positive signs. But that being said, uh, we also need to keep an eye on some of the risks and they're largely uh, geopolitical and external mm -hmm. to China. And of course, uh, what happens with US-China relations, uh, the increasingly uh, aggressive, unprovoked attacks on 
China's semiconductor industry, for example. Yes. Um, you know, these are things to to keep in mind as risk as uh, is the risk of a global slowdown or recession because of the uh, high interest rate policies being pursued by some countries, most notably the United States. So, but I think that the again the, the positives outweigh the negatives, uh, and that we can see uh, you know there's certainly the the possibility of a very very strong rebound uh, for the Chinese economy in 2023 and beyond. Hmm. Lastly, then, what will China's economic vitality mean for the global economy? Because as we have learned, those foreign financial institutions they predicted that the Chinese economy is expected to grow faster than those of the United States and the European Union in 2023. And also the Citigroup, the world's largest banks, predicts that the global growth will slow to below 2% in 2023. So what role does China play in this? Uh, China's economic recovery in 2023 will be quite vital for the global recovery although it will go both directions. Uh, on the upside, uh, China's demand will bolster the growth for the rest of the world um, because in the previous, pre-year, uh, previous two years, China was mostly absent from uh, the demand side for global goods since we're mostly under uh, partial lockdown or lockdown mode. Um, but then this year, uh, we start to see more uh, cross-border traveling. And next year, there will be way more cross-border traveling and people would uh, be willing to spend again. But at the same time, when China's demand go up, it will drive the inflation up for the rest of the world, especially with all the Chinese tourists, students and investors going to Europe and the US. It will probably add on to the inflationary pressure Although it's uh, more or less tamed in the Western markets, it's still very high. Uh, with China returning to the global demand of the picture, it would in fact make um, make the lowering the inflation task uh, even more difficult for the Western central banks. And that's part of the concern. But I guess it's, uh, in a way, um, just one small downside for uh, the rosier picture for the global recovery. Thank you all. We've been speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hengzhen Bank China, and Andy Mark, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. That's all the time we have for this edition of Base Today. I'm Xu Wen in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. 